BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, everybody. Tom Rose with you, the Bauer and Rose podcast. We are Bauerless today, but thanks for joining us. You can catch us wherever you get your podcasts at iTunes, at Google Play, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, you name it. Make sure and give us a five-star rating. Recommend us to your friends. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Well, we're a couple of days out from the state of delusion, state of confusion message. Uh, George Santos phone home. I mean, if, if Tuesday's State of the Union didn't prove he has nothing on Joe Biden in the lies department, I'm not sure what will. He's unpopular. He's faced with all kinds of pressures at home and growing aggression around the globe that he's clearly unable to deal with when that aggression, that tension hits the continental United States, Russia, Iran. We now have a breakdown of a 300-year geopolitical order of of open seas and free trade and the idea and opportunities for states to uh, to peaceably, safely, and securely engage one another with their products and services. Uh, not that that ever impressed anyone other than his stupidity with the media's help. He's now truly crafted Joe Biden, this, this alien reality, the fantasy world in Biden's demented brain, the one he described on Tuesday, is so far better than the real one he seems to have missed out on or denied. I'm not sure whether this is gaslighting, whether it's an attempt to confuse or bedazzle the American people. Who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes, a Groucho Marx routine? But nobody feels the good vibes that he does. Uh, He even had the chutzpah to refer to the spy balloon incident as proof that he's tough on China. Politico had a story that um, the State of the Union on Tuesday set a record for the most words ever in the State of the Union. I bet it also set a record for the number not just of lines, but of lies. Inflation, which grew from 1.4% that Trump gave him to 9%. He said he solved the inflation problem. It's great news. It was 9, now it's 7. Fantastic. He talks about the great job growth when we're down 8 million jobs from pre-COVID. He says gas prices are down when they're 50% higher than they were when he took office. He boasts about how prices are down across categories when people can't afford to buy eggs. Under Biden, the price of everything from bread to gas to utilities to cars to homes has soared out of reach for millions of Americans. Half the country, more than 150 million people, report their living paycheck to paycheck. And even those who do make a decent living because of inflation, um, they're behind because inflation is outrunning wage growth, meaning real wages are down. 
These polls came out just before the State of the Union. 62% of Americans don't think Biden has done very much as president. 18% think his policies have made life better for their families. 18%. So they must be hedge fund managers or uh, Hunter Biden's business partners. So what does Biden do to address those numbers? He makes up numbers. And he screams to the country like an 80-year-old man while he mumbles and fumbles one lie after another. He's your 80-year-old uncle who can't find the remote control and is screaming at everyone as he tries to find the remote control that he has misplaced. But the biggest lie of the night, in my humble opinion, and that's saying something because there were so many lies, it's hard to distinguish that which is bigger than the others, was when he falsely accused Republicans of wanting to get rid of Social Security and Medicare. When it's been Joe Biden who spent so much of his career working to cut Medicare, working to cut Social Security. In 2007, Biden told Meet the Press that, uh, quote, Medicare, that's the gorilla in the room, and you got to put all of it on the table, end quote. If that was too long ago, 2007, how about 2018, when he said, and again I quote, we need to do something about Social Security and Medicare. That's the only way you can find room to pay for it, end quote. Now, I think... The Republican reaction to the State of the Union, the lies, the dissembling, the the dissembling was fantastic. I loved it. Maybe now we can get back at some point to ending this, this charade of the State of the Union's turning into television events and get back to what George Washington began and what continued for about 150 years until Woodrow Wilson, if memory serves, actually went to Congress to deliver in person the first State of the Union message. The Constitution says only that the president shall report on the State of the Union annually. Now, for 150 years, that was a written statement that was delivered to the Congress. We live in a television age, a video age, an audio age, so obviously uh, much of that has changed. But these events until Tuesday, were shorn of any drama. And the fact that in real time, Republicans were able to heckle and howl and complain British parliamentary style, I think was a great service to the event. Now, obviously, if there's ever a Republican president, again, we will expect and can expect much more of it. By the way, this hardly started with Republicans. It was just two years ago that Nancy Pelosi, Princess Nancy, ripped up in front of a live television audience of uh, tens of millions. President Trump's State of the Union message, very deliberate, very poised, ripping and shredding of the State of the Union next to Vice President Pence. So I thought the reaction was terrific. He bragged about spending, what was it, $5 billion to subsidize electric car chargers? You know, the cheapest Tesla costs about 60 grand, and the most expensive model is more than 100 grand. Now, patronizing Tesla owners, of which I'm one, by the way, I love my Tesla, despite the fact that it uh, doesn't spew any uh, CO2. By the way, I love my Tesla because it's a great car, not because it's good for the environment, because it's not. 
it's no better for the environment. In fact, an argument can be made that it's worse for the environment than a combustion engine car. Why? Because of all the rare earth mining that has to be done to extract the materials necessary to build the electric batteries. There have been all kinds of studies, all kinds of research. You buy a Tesla, you buy an EV, and you're behind the curve in terms of CO2 output to get the car from the dealer to you, from the production line, from all the suppliers and subcontractors to the dealer to you, it's about 100,000 miles you're behind the curve. You've emitted more CO2 before you turn your Tesla on than a combustion engine car will emit in its first 100,000 miles. After the first 100, you know, the Tesla probably takes the charge. But here he is caring more about his Tesla donor base than he does about the rest of us, not to mention the seniors who he tried to scare into thinking that Republicans, again, want to cut Social Security. Now, we've made ourselves vulnerable on this issue over the years because somebody has to discuss the fact <laughs> that it's an unsustainable entitlement as, as presently constructed. And by the way, it's not an entitlement because Social Security you pay for. Medicare is an entitlement, even though you pay for part of it. Medicaid is a total entitlement. Food stamps, a total entitlement. Uh, Housing subsidies, a total entitlement. But Social Security, of course, is not because you pay into it. But the way it functions today, it's not sustainable in the long run. But, of course, you can't talk about that because anyone that talks about solidifying, strengthening Social Security will immediately be demagogued to death when, as we've mentioned, as we've discussed, it's Joe Biden who's talked more about jiggering with Social Security than any Republican has. Now, what he's referencing is a, a, a policy proposal submitted by one GOP senator, Rick Scott from Florida, that recommends a study, a bipartisan committee or commission to study the possibility of passing a sunset provision for all uh, non-discretionary spending programs in the U.S. federal budget. Every five years, non-discretionary spending programs in the Scott plan, and it's been endorsed by nobody, by the way, he's out on his own on this one, that every five years there be a process for reviewing the, the non-discretionary program to determine whether or not it should continue to be funded at that level, its current level, whether it should be reduced, whether it should be sunsetted, which means if it doesn't make any sense anymore, if we had a federal program to subsidize buggy whips under the current situation, if it were deemed a non-discretionary program, it would be funded in perpetuity. And all Scott was saying is that all of these programs, all of them, everything from NASA to FEMA, to uh, the Interstate Commerce Commission, and yes, Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid would be subject to the same sunset vote every five years. If the program is working, it would be renewed. And does anybody think if this thing actually became law, which of course it won't, that people would vote to sunset Social Security? So the demagoguery here is, 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 is painful. He even told a story, Biden, 
If you had to watch this, I apologize. He even told a story of a girl who died of a fentanyl poisoning when it's been him and his party who refuse to stop appeasing China, refuse to really get tough, refuse to to close our border, even forget close, even control our border. I watch this and I'm thinking, the only people Biden seems angry at are Americans. He never got angry when talking about the Russians in Ukraine or China, the, the half of a sentence he devoted to China. He's angrier at you than he is at anyone else. The only people he seems prepared to fight and viciously at that are Americans. As bad and as awful as this State of the Union was, his policies are worse. 41% back to this, I think it was a CBS News poll, 41% of respondents say they're worse off financially since Biden became president. Other polls are even worse. One shows that only 30% of Democrats even want him to seek a second term. That's down 15 points since the election. He wants six more years. If he does, he will owe his survival to Kamala Harris, the world's greatest living example of impeachment insurance. Even Democrats now are circling the wagons to get rid of her. She's a dud and a terribly unpopular one at that. There was a hit piece in the Washington Post. There was a front page, probably 40-column inch piece two, three days later in the New York Times about how Democrats want rid of her. Even Hillary Clinton in the New York Times piece was quoted by uh, two people, unnamed of course, saying that she can't be on the ticket and she certainly wouldn't have the credibility or ability to run a national campaign because she, her political instinct doesn't allow her to clear a primary field. So removing Biden midterm, if he runs again and wins again, could be even more dangerous than letting him stay. And that is the conundrum, that's the challenge that Democrats face. Failing politicians, Republicans, Democrat, they always say that their problems vis-a-vis the public and disapproval and low approval ratings is their inability to message properly. But the real problem is always the same. They're bad ideas and bad policies. The American people aren't stupid. Collectively, we understand what's in our best interest. We oftentimes don't act upon it, but we understand what's in our best interest. Take his appeal to national unity, which especially rings a false note, given his, his smears of anybody who disagrees with him. Right? He says he wants unity, then he calls half of America semi-fascists. He calls governors of Arizona and Texas uh, Neanderthals. He's cheapened the word racist by applying it to everyone, to those who fought against Washington's control of state election laws, to anyone who protested irregularities in advance of the 2022 election. And, and, and this is, you know, we've seen... The House committees on Twitter this week and one on on Thursday that was designed to begin the process of government entities pressuring private entities 
to censor stories, to, to um, uh, prevent dissemination of information, news that, that the government didn't like, a total and complete violation of the First Amendment. Democrats will tell you, and they're correct, that private companies, even publicly traded private companies, engaging in news production do not have the same First Amendment prohibitions that the government has. The First Amendment says that the government shall make no laws. So Twitter theoretically can do what it wants. But the federal government cannot pressure any publisher to not publish something. That's a violation of the First Amendment. A gross violation, perhaps an unprecedented violation. Everybody knows that whether or not you agree or disagree that the outcome of the 2020 election was fair or legitimate to say that Joe Biden won, what was it, 10, 11, no, it wasn't that much. It was uh, 7 or 8 million more votes than Donald Trump. I don't think anybody who is honest with themselves can argue that the election wasn't rigged long before election day. Now, those who rigged it can claim it wasn't stolen on a technicality because they changed all the technicalities. They changed all the rules before the election to make cheating easier, to make verification harder. It's as if you're going to a basketball game and right before tip-off, the refs announce massive new rules changes. And if it isn't stopped and it goes through, then technically you can argue that the rules change the minute before the game started. Then there's the media. Now, the media, of course, engaged in widespread, massive, coordinated propaganda. We heard live testimony and saw physical evidence this week of this coordinated propaganda campaign designed to hurt Trump and help Biden. And this is the case of burying the laptop story. I heard Ari Fleischer make a fabulous point. I think it was on Fox. Republicans are making a big, big mistake by even uttering the name Hunter. Because this is not a story about Hunter Biden. This is a story about Joe Biden. This is a story about a compromised president of the United States who illegally, well, certainly improperly, and we'll find out whether illegally, improperly peddled influence to enrich himself and his family. It's not deniable. That's a fact supported by an ocean of evidence. The sons, and again, I'm not using the name, the sons' engagement with a Ukrainian energy company and his having been awarded an $80,000 a month stipend a month after then-Vice President Joe Biden publicly boasts about threatening the Ukrainian government with a denial of a billion dollars in congressionally approved aid if the Ukrainian government did not fire the prosecutor that was investigating the son for alleged corruption charges. The list is endless about the 2020 election, and we've talked about it endlessly, and we should. The, the invented and promoted totally fake Russia collusion lie for more than two years. 
And we still see Democrats today upholding it. Remember the, the there are so many examples. I, I could go on here for two hours. Remember the um, Atlantic Magazine article that came out in 2020? It, the Atlantic used to be a credible magazine. It pushed this totally fake story about Trump disparaging the American debt at Normandy. And it quoted extensively two unnamed sources without bothering to mention, let alone report, that 24 people who were with the president that day, on the record, emphatically denied the story. They asserted it was a complete lie. It never happened. Somebody should try to compile a list of the crimes, real or imagined, that the media have tried to use to convict Donald Trump. It's literally almost endless. There are dozens and none of them, none have stuck. Not only hasn't that stopped them or initiated any self-reflection, it's only accelerated their push to find something, anything to convict him of. Now we're back to Stormy Daniels. Say what you will about Stormy. I'm not a big fan of hers. The uh, porn star that Donald Trump may or may not have, I have no reason to doubt the story. But the charge that he quote-unquote paid hush money, I don't know if he did or he didn't, but there's nothing illegal about that. It might be unseemly, it might be wrong, yet there's a full-fledged criminal investigation. And it happened seven years ago. He's a tax cheat. Remember the anonymous, this high-ranking, so-called high-ranking cabinet official that was anything but high-ranking and he wasn't a cabinet official? The New York Times published him knowing full well that Their promotion of this author was a complete lie, yet they lied to us for a year and a half until he finally, he couldn't take the anonymity anymore. He wanted credit, so he announced himself. I'd never heard of him, and the reason I didn't hear of him, even though I worked for four years at the White House on a day-to-day basis, closely with the vice president, senior cabinet officials, senior White House officials, agency heads, I'd never heard of him. And I didn't hear of him because he never worked at the White House. He worked at a sub-agency where he was outranked, I think, Molly Hemingway points this out, I think by about 60 people in his own agency. Every day Trump's accused of a new crime, even now. This isn't mere bias. It's a coordinated political propaganda campaign. And if 2020 had happened in any third world country, the kind of country that the U.S. would send election monitors to. This is something that Jimmy Carter has uh, taken to heart and observed dozens of elections in his post-presidency. This is the kind of thing that an international election observer force would routinely denounce as negatively impacting the integrity or legitimacy of an election. And then you've got, and again, thanks to Jim Comey, Comer, who is uh, chair of the House Select Committee on Investigations, this massive manipulation by the big big tech cartel that used sophisticated algorithms, and maybe not so sophisticated algorithms, but hidden algorithms to censor content and people they determined would hurt Biden and the Democrats, while promoting content and people that they believed would hurt Trump. They elevated the content they liked, and they downgraded or blocked the content they didn't like. Now, 
That doesn't sound very American to me. They dump millions, ten, we've gone over this and over this. Of course, there was the unprecedented number. And this is really where the rubber hits the road in terms of 2020. The last minute changes, hundreds of them to election laws around the country. Hundreds of last minute changes, every single one of which was made to help Biden and hurt Trump. Not a single one of these last minute election changes all in Democrat or swing states or states with weak Republican governors who got rolled without even knowing it, were all coincidentally designed to help Biden. The deluge of mail-in ballots at the same time they passed laws that lessened ballot scrutiny so that if there was fraud, and obviously it's more likely to have fraud since there was so much greater opportunity for fraud— Right, if you give a mouse a cookie, that no one be able, to, no one would be able to detect it. But then, of course, looking for fraud was treated by Democrats as insurrection, as treason. It's well, that's kind of where we are. Let's take a break. You're listening to the Bauer and Rose Show on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125, and the Bauer and Rose Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back, everybody. Tom Rose, the uh, Bauer and Rose Show, Bauer and Rose Podcast, right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125 on Sundays. And we podcast during the week. Make sure you check us out wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. That way you'll never miss a Bauer and Rose podcast drop. This balloon, you know, we're, we're, we're 10 days into this. Biden in his State of the Union address, literally one half of one sentence, the chutzpah to say, as the American people now know, I stood up to China. I don't know why the place didn't break out in cackles at that line. Look, the balloon, a lot of Democrats are saying, that's no big deal. Actually, as a matter of fact, in an expression that actually uh, pushes the term gaslighting to a new definition, the argument that that the Biden administration is subsequently trying to make is that the balloon wasn't spying on us. We actually were spying on the balloon. We got so much intelligence from the balloon, looking at it from the ground, as opposed to the balloon itself. The balloon was obviously equipped with much more sensitive technology than a satellite. And as Gary pointed out, if satellites can do what balloons do, why use balloons? Otherwise, they would have used a satellite. This thing, and I don't believe we're ever going to get the real answers on this because it'll make the administration look bad, almost certainly had synthetic aperture radar. It certainly had multispectral imaging at the very least. But even beyond that, China's takeaway from this was their ability to measure how quickly we could or would respond 
to violations of our airspace. It's very aggressive to send an instrument with state-of-the-art capabilities and to do so without our impunity, expecting no response, which is precisely what they got. It doesn't say good things about us, that's for sure. And regarding past instances, now it's, now it's the um, everybody does it, Trump did it, it happened to Trump. Are there any um, past instances that the Pentagon is willing to give us detailed information about? Because they haven't. So far, it's just innuendo. The Pentagon explanations change by the hour. As I mentioned, now it's China spying on us. I worked in the White House for four years. I worked with everybody who has subsequently scratched their heads in complete denial at the notion that the country was transited by Chinese surveillance balloons three times. Mark Esper, who hates President Trump, was a defense secretary. Uh, He denied it. Pompeo denied it. Rick Grinnell denied it. Uh, John Bolton, who also hates the president, denied it. Robert O'Brien, National Security Advisor, denied it. Mike Pence denied it. And, of course, Donald Trump denied it. So we had two DNIs, two defense secretaries, a CIA director, a secretary of state, a vice president, and a president who all pled complete ignorance of such a thing. Now, how can you protect against synthetic aperture radar when the White House says, we took countermeasures? Well, the fact is you can't. How can you protect against multispectral imaging? You can't. They're gaslighting us. And we've done a lousy job pushing back. That's our defense posture. Wait until the running back or the QB is in the end zone, then we're going to tackle them. <laughs> in the NFL, that's a penalty. For DOD, that's apparently the rule of the game. Then we send a note to the Chinese People's Liberation Army saying how angry we are. And we really show them by canceling Secretary of State Tony Blinken's upcoming trip to China because the one and a half billion Chinese couldn't wait for Tony Blinken to show up. That's how we punish them? Not only is this no way for the world's leading power to act, it's no way for for any country to act that it has even a shred of self-respect. The reason China doesn't move on Taiwan today is because they see an America in decline. They think, and until things change, they're right, that time is on China's side. Second, of course, if China fails, it would mark the end, not simply of President Xi, but perhaps the CCP itself. So China continues its massive military buildup as it watches us deteriorate. So this allows China to, as Deng Xiaoping used to say in the early 1980s in terms of China's grand strategy vis-a-vis the West, to bide its time and hide its rise, enabling it to study and calculate the range of responses it might face. And I tell you, after watching a 200-foot-high balloon transect the entire continental United States for five days on live television, and our leadership did nothing. I think President Xi and the CCP can only take away one message, and that is that America is weak under this leadership. The Chinese were flummoxed when President Trump 
came to town, absolutely flummoxed. He, he promised and delivered this dramatic reversal of American decline. Um, but everything changed in 2020. Americans didn't even know they were voting for a compromised candidate, thanks to the media and big tech censorship. The Biden family, this is Joe Biden. It's not the family, as Judy Woodruff tried to point out in that softball question to the president the day after the State of the Union when she said, Mr. President, Republicans are trying to make your family an issue. Uh, No, Judy, we're trying to make Joe an issue. The Biden family, thanks to Joe, has received tens of millions of dollars from Chinese business deals the Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement at the University of Pennsylvania got $61 million from China. The Biden Center at the University of Delaware got $20 million from China. These aren't ad hominem attacks or name-calling. These are facts. Then China, they watch as Biden is chased out of Afghanistan by Ninth century Neanderthals and doesn't even have the presence of mind to collect more than $80 billion worth of high tech advanced U.S. weaponry. And we abandoned the Bagram Air Base, which is, was a huge military asset for the U.S. to project power in Central Asia or to protect allies in any event. What signal do you think that sent? Nobody's been fired. Nobody's been fired. We used to be this great manufacturing exporting power. And what do we export today? Rotten, dangerous, poisonous ideas. All white people are racist. There are 52 different sexes and counting. Our civilization is not only no better than any of the others, but it's worse. And that teenage boys and teenage girls... If a teenage girl says she's a boy, she ought to be able to have her breasts cut off. If a teenage boy says he's a girl, he ought to be chemically castrated. This is, this is the problem with our, our leadership today. And the, the narrative of almost every significant institution in our society, from the media to Hollywood to government. And when I say government, I mean not, not, not simply Democrats in elected office, but the fourth branch of U.S. government, which is the permanent Washington bureaucracy, 2.2 million bureaucrats, not elected, not congressionally confirmed, not even approved. They're the ones who write all the statutes behind all the laws, they're the ones who control the federal government. Republicans, when we win, we're Christmas help. That was President Trump's, uh, one of his favorite lines in the White House, was that staff, not political staff, permanent professional staff viewed us as the Christmas help. And they're right. They were right. And they are right. And that, that's a problem. I mean, we're now in an era of, of great power competition. Even after four years of President Trump's accomplishments and achievements, too few 
Maybe the balloon changed it a little bit, but too few in our country seem willing to recognize the extent that China's inroads have made within every region of the world, much less the specific form of dominance that demonstrates the nefarious ends to which that party aspires. They don't simply seek to achieve preeminence within the established world order, an order that's grounded in free and sovereign nation states that has been, well, it was originally established by the British, but after the Second World War, we kind of picked up the baton and maintain this order by our blood and treasure. They don't want to tinker with that world order. They want to replace it. They want to fundamentally alter that order. They want to place the People's Republic of China, the PRC, at the center of global power and influence. And they want that new international Sinocentric system to serve Beijing's goals. They justify their brutal actions by claiming that the Chinese people need an iron-fisted authoritarian government to assure stability and prosperity and peace. Yet, I'm no China expert, but the experience of free Chinese people today, as in times past, um, should only reinforce our belief that when given the chance to do so, they can sort of heights that leaves a a little island in the South China Sea, 90 miles off the coast of mainland China, self-governing island of Taiwan with no natural resources, to be the world's absolutely essential highest-end semiconductor manufacturer, 90% of the highest-end, most sophisticated chips are manufactured, if not in Taiwan, then by the world's leading manufacturer, Taiwan Semiconductor, TSMC. So, and we saw this too in Hong Kong for more than a century till the Chinese ruined it. Hong Kong exemplified the ability of Chinese people to realize unrivaled prosperity. You think Taiwan had no natural resources. All Hong Kong had was a harbor. China signs a, an agreement with uh, Great Britain in 1984 to transfer control of the colony which was a British colony, originally 1842. The, I think it was called the Treaty of Nan, Nanking, 1842, that ended the First Opium War, which China uh, ceded to Britain in perpetuity forever. And the Chinese uh, pressured the British, and the British were in no position to defend themselves against a growing, aggressive Chinese Communist Party in mainland China on a rock uh, you know, a mile and a half or whatever across Victoria Sound or whatever it's called that separates Hong Kong from Guangdong, the, the province just across the, uh, just across the bay. So every time the Chinese government tries to justify the supremacy of its atheistic communism over religious freedom rights, um, every time they choose to close a church or... Uh, open an internment camp or exile Tibetan Buddhists. Every time they crush dissent, they ought to be reminded about Taiwan. Because today China's building a surveillance state unlike anything the world has ever seen. It would make George Orwell spin in his grave 
a mind as innovative and creative as George Orwell's couldn't have imagined. The, the degree to which his 1984 dystopian reality has been equaled and far exceeded by China. It's spending hundreds of billions of dollars to hardwire the entire country into this futuristic high-tech reconnaissance apparatus designed to follow everybody in real time, literally crush any dissent, political, economic, cultural, religious. And the risk is that U.S. tech companies are in the process of imposing something very similar here. The Chinese police today, and this is a harbinger of, of, of what will happen here and is happening here, and in certain circumstance has already happened here. The Chinese police are now able to pull up live video feeds from China's more than 800 million surveillance cameras. That's right, 1.4 billion people in China, and our best intelligence estimates are that there are more than 800 million surveillance cameras. And at arbitrary checkpoints, they can demand blood samples, fingerprints, iris scans, voice recordings from anyone trying to pass through any of their checkpoints. They, they now have these state-issued ID cards that are required to buy everything from a newspaper to a phone to a kitchen appliance. And China today, most people don't know unless you've traveled there, is the world's almost truly cashless society. Everything everyone buys has to be done with this um, uh, card, the state ID card, which is linked to your bank account. I think uh, Weibo is the name of the, or WeChat is the name of the uh, app that's used. So that everything you buy is automatically entered into this state-controlled electronic profile that officials can look at manually in analog fashion or gets fed into this algorithmic database. So they can pull up at any time for any reason something in your past, like attending the wrong mosque or church, and drive down your social credit score. So everything you buy, they're able to track. Um, it's, it's, you think of this, and you read stories about how this is, this year actually will mark the first time since the revolution in 1949 when China's population begins to decline. Notwithstanding the present threat it presents, not just to the U.S., but to sovereign states everywhere, China is not a 10-foot giant. China has lots of vulnerabilities, starting with the endemic disadvantages that come with any authoritarian dictatorship. Because everyone is so afraid of losing their credit score or falling afoul of authorities, there are natural and rather dramatic constraints on innovation, on creativity. China has a difficult time, because of its nature, forming an alliance or maintaining an alliance. Right now, dangerously, 2022, a year that 
uh, will go down in the books as one where the enemies of the established world order, so to speak, those who want to get rid of it entirely. Walter Russell Mead had a great piece in the Wall Street Journal a couple of weeks ago. Uh, three camps in geopolitics today. There are those that support and want to try to maintain the world order that has served most people so well over the past 70 years, unrivaled prosperity and growth and economic opportunity and peace. There are those countries that want to jigger with the rules to make it fair for them. That was Donald Trump. And then there's this group of rogues, we can call them, China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, uh, a couple of hangers-on, Nicaragua, Venezuela, Cuba, I can't remember if I said Cuba or not, that now are openly and unapologetically acting to destroy that order. So their alliance situation is not as sanguine as it might have been. They now have, they now have partners in crime. The exorbitant costs that China faces, financial costs and human costs, that have got to be devoted to maintaining domestic repression, that's very, very high. We can remain the world's most powerful, agile, and technologically sophisticated country in the world with the strongest military. We can enhance security cooperation, but we have to get our house in order at home first. We can't do it while we're so not only bitterly divided, and I'm not calling for unity in the sense of, of, of capitulating. We have to fight harder. This is our country. We've got to fight for it. We've got to fight for our values. We've got to push our principles. We've got to attack those who attack us, which is why I think I was thrilled at the State of the Union by the response. It reminded me of uh, Prime Minister's questions in the House of Commons in, in the UK every Wednesday, where the Prime Minister's got to get up and face the music, baby. If he says something the other side doesn't like, or she says something the other side doesn't like, they'll scream bloody murder. That keeps them honest and fair and safe, and I, uh, I think that was terrific. I'm out of time. How do you like that? Well, have a great week, everybody. We'll catch you uh, next week. My Super Bowl prediction. Hmm, my Super Bowl prediction. Uh, not a huge fan of either team. I think, I think the Chiefs, because Patrick Mahomes is, what, fourth or fifth year? And Jalen Hurts is just a second year, so that's my, that is my Super Bowl call. Have a great week. We'll catch you next Sunday right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125. And during the week at the Bower and Rose podcast, brought to you by our good friends at justthenews.com. <laughs>